You and I both know that crypto is rapidly becoming the future of finance. You will also probably be aware that investing in crypto can seem a little daunting or even just outright confusing. The real question is, is how do you break down those barriers so that you can confidently invest in crypto in a way which is both profitable and sustainable in the long run? Join me on my journey to helping new crypto investors go from prospects to pros in crypto investment. Whether it's a Bitcoin or Bored Ape, I've got the insider tips and tricks so that you can take those steps towards the financial future that you've always dreamt of. My name's Christopher Hitchin. Welcome to the Easy Crypto Podcast. So welcome to the Easy Crypto Podcast. And this week on the podcast, we have Daniel Liebeskind. And we're going to be talking about his journey into crypto and all the amazing stuff that he's been up to. So without further ado, let's get going. So Daniel, how did you get into crypto? Hey, Chris. Uh, so I've been uh, dabbling in crypto and decentralized technologies for a really long time. Um, I bought my first Bitcoin in 2013. I was an Ethereum developer in 2017, 2018. Um, a Solidity, certified Solidity uh, developer with uh, consensus and, and others. Um, and I also had a dev shop for the last eight years ish where, um, you know, I built something like 20 to 25 different applications, uh, and had my first metaverse platform in 2015 called body. It was a way for fitness instructors to create their own virtual fitness studios and teach live interactive classes that didn't really have anything to do with crypto. But, um, you know, certainly as we talk about web three and the emerging metaverse, you know, there's a lot of different uh, pieces at play here. There is indeed. So you, you've been developing Arifium then, that's, that's an interesting one. So what are you thinking, what's your thoughts on, on uh, the merge and uh, Arifium 2 and the ditching of yeah. mine? Yeah, you know, I think that um, the reality is that we're just in the early days of a lot of these technologies. Um, and I think that Ethereum has a decent shot at surviving in the long term and, and making this transition. It is essentially a brand new protocol. Um, and, you know, we, it's, it's unproven, but there's a lot, there's a huge community around Ethereum of really, really smart people. And there have been for many years. So I think, uh, you know, it has a very good shot at making it here and, um, and sort of making the transition successfully. I know there's a lot of other blockchains that are sort of vying for uh, dominance in the smart contract world. I think of it a little bit like the productivity tool space. And I say this around metaverse a lot as well, but there's not just one productivity tool. There are many different ones for many different use cases. And I think that can be true for public databases. Actually, if you look at the, the centralized database market, there are many different uh, private databases, right? Um, you can use uh, like a, um, a, a SQL based, no SQL, there's Mongo, there's, um, there's Postgres, there's Redis, they all serve different purposes. Um, and they're kind of competing with each other, but um, they have different benefits, different pros and cons. And I think the same will be true in the blockchain space as well. So an interesting one is that and, and obviously, we're moving from web two to web three. And I, I think basically, what I what I see crypto as is is basically it's it's marketing meeting uh, meeting IT companies. So we've always had a database. We've always had 
the ability to have decentralized databases, i.e., you know, through re replication and so on. But what we're now doing is standardizing it and formalizing it. And I think as we adopt it, as the big banks adopt it, which we're seeing now uh, with, with investment in 2021, uh, with the big blue chips, it's evolving as, as a, a very stable technology that people are having to say, well, do you know what? This is serious stuff and it's game-changing stuff. I personally think Arifium is going to do really well. I think the smart contracts is going to be game-changing, for instance, for real estate. And I think basically it's, it's an interesting one how the metaverse is evolving. I think that's massive. So I want to touch base on that uh, with yourselves. What's your thoughts on the metaverse? And, and obviously you've got quite a bit of experience in this, so it would be interesting to hear what you say. Yeah, you know, I think of the metaverse as the convergence of two technologies that are both evolving the internet. Um, and the evolving internet, you know, it's it's going in what people are referring to as Web3, which is the evolution towards more decentralized databases. And that as a technology, as a concept, is really fascinating because it means that instead of basically as a creator or as a community leader or as anybody that that um, is uh, wants any kind of control or identity or governance over data, you no longer need to go to each gated uh, gated platform and create within that gated platform and do it over and over again. Instead, you get to go into a public database, create once, and then it's up to the entire universe of applications, front end uh, applications or you know or others to make use of these, database entries essentially and so that's very that's very good for creators it's very good for community organizers and you can bring your creations with you across platforms when you and and things that you own that you purchase as an example uh, in the case of nfts you can bring those with you across platforms you can bring your communities with you across platforms and so that's incredibly consumer and creator oriented and as a result it's going to be hard in the long term assuming we can uh, jump this chasm it's going to be very hard for web 2 centralized databases to convince creators and communities to come create within their closed ecosystem when you have the option of creating once in a public ecosystem and then using it across the entire internet and and that's the web 3 evolution that's happening the other aspect of the metaverse uh, that we're seeing is the evolution of the internet from something that's asynchronous kind of like how email works where you send an email and then sometime later you get one back even your facebook wall is asynchronous texting is asynchronous um, and it's the evolution from that into real-time internet synchronicity right like even what we're doing on the zoom meeting what has been happening in multiplayer games for a decade now um, mmos are an example of that and what you found in mmos is a lot of times people were actually playing the game of human connection they weren't even doing the quests. They were just going into one of the large compounds and hanging out with people. And that ability to have real human connection in a distributed way, have access to a community from anywhere in the world is very democratizing. It's, it's decentralizing. Um, and these two, Web3 and the real-time internet together make up the metaverse. It's very exciting. It is. Now, I just want to touch because but we're both from corporate backgrounds, um, investment banking in particular. And very early on, the, the investment bankers didn't get it. I mean, obviously, we've had, you know, some famous people in different banks said that if you bought Bitcoin, you'd get sacked for being stupid, which obviously they've then gone back on that. What would you say to the big corporate blue chips? Because obviously um, uh, there's, there's masses of companies that have not 
even thought about the benefits and how they're going to potentially adopt blockchains. I think this is really good for you because obviously you've, you've got quite a lot of experience in app development. So you've already seen the use cases. It'd be interesting to see what you think on that. I think that it is like any new emerging technology. Think about the internet in the 90s. There were a lot of people that rejected. Actually, if you look at like uh, 2020 interviews of Jeff Bezos in the early 90s, they're really funny because you see this, um, this general consensus that people had, a cultural consensus that this is just a flash in the pan, get rich quick thing, the internet, right? And there's no way that a company like Amazon can compete against a retail giant like Kmart. And yet Amazon and Kmart have the same valuation. Um, and that, uh, that actually is a great reminder of anytime there's a new emerging technology that's disruptive to the status quo or that challenges people to evolve in any way, it's scary. And the, uh, the easy thing to do or the thing that most do is to try to resist that change and try to um, say, you know, look, we don't need to be the early adopters here. We'll wait. And if this is going to be a real thing, we'll just wait for the early majority. Um, and then it won't be too late. We'll just jump into it. Now, that may be true, and that, that kind of was true in the age of the internet, but there were a lot of really established companies that missed it because it depends on your business at what stage you really need to adopt in order to uh, not get left behind and not get completely disrupted. I think that just like asset allocation, it's crazy right now to me to not allocate some of your resources, 5% of your resources, for example, to exploring this emerging technology you're not, you don't have to, you don't have to make a full switch. If you're a blue chip and you're a you know, multi-billion dollar company, you don't need to allocate, you don't need to do what, you know, Meta did essentially and shift the entire company strategy to this new emerging technology, but you can uh, shift some of the resources to exploring it. And frankly, you should have five to 10% of your resources allocated towards any new emerging technology, whether it's artificial intelligence, blockchain, virtual reality. Um, it's, it's, I think it's a little bit irresponsible not to do that sort of thing. And you're just setting yourself up to be disrupted. Yeah, it's an interesting one is that. I mean, if we take Blockbuster as an example, they were a market leader that didn't adopt. And obviously uh, Netflix overtook them. I think you're going to see that happen on a lot of these, uh, these blockchains if people don't get on board. Now, what, what's interesting to talk about from a point of view of talking corporates is the blockchain development. Would you say it is any more costly or expensive to develop a, uh, the equivalent of blockchain app to one that is actually outside the blockchain? You know, I think the actual app development is these days is probably quite similar. Um, early on in 2017, 2018, uh, it was very expensive to hire a Solidity developer, which is what you needed to develop a smart contract. I think they were charging something like 350, 400 bucks an hour. Um, and you know, I, I sort of became part of that wave. It was very appealing, very attractive. I had a dev shop and so kind of a no brainer. I think the, the cost of that has come down. And so developing an app is similar to, to other apps. What I would say is that decentralized databases are uh, to run and to try to scale an organization is currently more expensive than uh, using a centralized database. And there's uh, Vitalik Buterin always talks about, I'm probably going to butcher it, but there are three, uh, three sort of pillars to um, any kind of blockchain or any of these kinds of technologies. 
Um, and you can't have all three. You're always sacrificing one uh, for the other two. You can have two out of three. I think it's security, scalability, and I'm blanking on on the third, which doesn't really make, I, I don't know, uh, Chris, if you happen to know. But in, in any case, you've, go got secure, yeah. you've got security, you've got scalability. Is it, uh, is this scalability? It's probably cost, because <laughs> that was kind of my point. So, I mean, obviously, you, it's like on Solana, you've got you've got the speed, but you haven't got speed. True, you haven't got the the security of, say, for instance, Bitcoin. Yeah. In any case, we can look it up and you can put it in the notes yeah. after. The, yeah, my my point is that you're always sacrificing something, right? There's there is no perfect solution here, and what happens with blockchain is you you have all these different nodes that are doing validation. That do that's how you can have a trustless system is. You have the whole world collaborating to validate that uh, transaction that's added to this public database is true, is correct, um, and then maintaining that immutable record, this unchangeable record going to the future. There's a lot of uh, energy that's required to do that. And I don't even mean you know global warming energy, just uh, resources, time, uh, focus, and that is expensive. And so running, a, uh, running an application on a decentralized database is currently order of magnitude more expensive than, order, than running a, an application on a centralized database where there's one company, you are doing all the validation, you are doing all the authentication, making sure that you know, your database is up to date. Um, and so you know, those costs, again, it's kind of like um, the, the early days of any technology, it uh, it required we're building the infrastructure layer in many ways right now we're bringing the cost down and at some point the uh, the trade off of the expense of running something on a blockchain versus the utility and the benefit of having this be something that's trustless that's publicly accessible uh, where creators and, and communities can come and and have these entries in a public database at some point that is going to far surpass the the cost increase at least that's what everybody's betting on. Um, but I, I think we're not quite at the no-brainer phase for, uh, for a lot of these apps yet. Just, just touching back onto the Solidity development, so it was $350 an hour. What, what is it now currently? I actually don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't hired or been a uh, Solidity dev in a few years now, so I'm not sure. I, I doubt it's that expensive, though. It, at the time, there was very few people that knew Solidity, and there were, everybody was doing ICOs. It was during the ICO boom. And so if you could hire yourself a Solidity dev, you could create a smart contract and raise millions of dollars. And so they were willing to basically pay the um, Solidity devs anything. And sometimes even throw in a bunch of tokens or give them a cut of whatever the raise was. Yeah, they were uh, kind of cowboy times. I actually didn't really participate that much in it. I found the whole ICO era to be a little confusing, <laughs> frankly. And I had a bunch of projects I was thinking of doing ICOs with, and I ultimately just decided that um, I, I couldn't, I, I just didn't, I didn't follow through on it um, for various reasons. So I did a lot of the dev for other people's projects, but, you know, they were very confusing times for anybody that was, that was around, you know, whether this was even legal, whether there were, you know, whether it was ethical, um, a lot of money was flowing into it and that kind of disruption creates a lot of opportunity, um, but also creates a lot of uncertainty. So what are you developing in these days then? 
Uh, so mostly JavaScript based applications. Um, and, you know, I have a platform called Topia that I've been building for last, uh, for, for, for many years, but its current incarnation is two years old. Uh, and it's basically a way to uh, bring people together inside of virtual worlds. It's essentially like a social experience engine uh, for creating these immersive experiences, bringing people together. Uh, we have Web3 gating, so you can use NFTs to gate entry into worlds. You can enable people to co-create uh, NFT galleries and have them be verified on-chain uh, placements of these images or uh, videos or, or whatnot. And, you know, it's, it's kind of like, um, like Minecraft meets Zoom. If you want to think about it that way, you can create the world, customize it in whatever way you want, all of your own branding, your own images, or you can use our marketplace and use uh, world templates. And then you bring people together uh, where they can move and they click and move around the world and where they're near each other, they connect on audio and video through a peer-to-peer -peer encrypted tunnel. Um, and so privacy is really important to us. Accessibility is really important uh, to us. We co-hosted uh, Burning Man two years ago and last year uh, virtually and had over 20,000 people come to each of those events. And, um, you know, really for us, it's about accessibility, people from all over the world being able to be part of that community. And that's, yeah, that's what I've been doing. That's pretty cool, is that? So is it a little bit like going into Mana, into Decentraland? And Similar, yeah. Because it's like I came across the other week, um, I went into Decentraland and uh, I came across a, um, a virtual tattooist and I thought it was pretty much a game changer for how they were doing it. They were showcasing, so they had like a virtual tattoo shop and they were showcasing their actual tattoos that they did locally. But on top of that, they were selling uh, tattoos for your avatar. So, and they were outside a concert venue. So obviously they had a hell of a lot of footfall of, of virtual people. And I was like, for bricks and mortar, this is absolute game changer. If, if people adopted this, you know, then potentially they could exponentially grow their businesses. So is that something you're, you're involved in, in doing something like that then? Yeah, Topia is quite similar to Decentraland. Um, we uh, right now are not rendering in three dimension. It's 2.5 dimensional. So, um, you know, we want to make it so that you don't need to be a gamer to access these worlds and to move around in them. Um, and something like Decentraland is just a little bit more cumbersome for, for non-gamers. Um, we also haven't actually uh, NFTIs our real estate. So you can use NFTs, you can use Web3 uh, within Topia as sort of a utility. We're not ourselves an NFT project. We're not selling uh, tokens or anything like that. Um, so that's another big difference. And, you know, ultimately, again, these all of these different platforms are going to specialize in different things for us. It's about hyperscalability, bringing thousands of people together inside of an experience, making it incredibly accessible. We built a lot of uh, consent and safer spaces into our platform. Um, but, you know, end of the day, there's there's a, a bunch of these. Decentraland Sandbox, another one. Uh, Gather is another one that people probably heard about. Um, and, you know, we're, we're up there with those guys, um, but doing something a little bit different. It is. It's, it's really exciting stuff. So what, where do you see that going? What's your aim with that then? Well, what we've ultimately built is, uh, you know, in the long run, what we built is a peer-to-peer -peer connection manager. So being able to bring thousands of people together and have them move around a space and connect and disconnect from each other rapidly within sort of a chaotic environment, um, that's an engine that we've built that allows for people to connect through these encrypted 
peer-to-peer channels. So we're kind of like a Napster of the metaverse in some ways. We're all about privacy. We're all about safety and security. If you look at Decentraland or really anybody else in the metaverse space, uh, Meta, for example, you know they're using server-based architectures. So all of your audio and video is going through a server, which they can then decode, they can transcribe, they can use it to serve you uh, more targeted ads, for example. You might be like hanging out with your friends in one of these virtual worlds, and everything you're saying is being transcribed and recorded. Um, in Topia, that can never happen because the there is no server. It's serverless WebRTC, and all of the audio and video, all the connection is happening through an encrypted tunnel between each of your devices. Um, and so this technology that we've built is very challenging to build, um, but we have it, and um, essentially now we're an engine where you can build these kinds of socially uh, social experiences that are hyper scalable because there's no server and hyper private because there's no server. Uh, and, you know, you can turn the worlds into anything you can imagine. So we don't have a style. We don't have a look and feel. Each world is incredibly unique. Yeah. That's an interesting one is that. So it's amazing if you think about what people do with our information centrally, you know, been able to transcribe it and obviously we all we all get too many ads i'd say at the wrong points when you're thinking what, what on earth is that to do to, well so the interesting thing with something like a decentraland or you know when we talk about web3 and public databases in general is that that real estate in theory right that is an nft um, there can be many different applications that are streaming your um, your WebRTC, your audio or video. I don't think Decentraland has video, but can be streaming your audio, for example, um, through different serverless or server-based architecture. In theory, you can even build a Topia instance that, uh, that allows people that have Decentraland NFTs to actually use Topia instead of Decentraland itself um, to access these um, public, this public real estate. And so there's, there's going to be a lot of interesting things. You know, Decentraland is both an NFT project and a front-end application. And the, the amazing thing about public blockchains, public databases, is that Decentraland's front-end application, in theory, there could be thousands of them, right, that all use the same back-end data. So where do you see the demand from a commercial point of view for virtual platforms? Yeah, you know, again, it's kind of the, the question you asked me at the beginning, what would I say to blue chips? Um, the metaverse is here, it already exists. You can use something like Topia to, um, for your demand gen funnel. You can use it to bring your communities together. Um, there's a lot of different use cases within a, a B2B context, within a B2C context. And it's because it's available right now, um, and this thing is happening pretty quick, you know, it may be a hype cycle and it'll come down and, and, and then, um, you know, there, there likely will be cycles. That's how all technologies work. Um, but those that learn early on how to build this into their sales funnels, into their community funnels, they're going to have a huge advantage against competitors. And, you know, when you think about um, emerging brands versus established brands, the established brands need to make sure that they are staying culturally relevant that they're, um, you know, that they're staying at the top of the deck and the emerging brands, you know, this anytime there's a paradigm shift, which is happening with metaverse, with web three, um, you know, all these different uh, things that are happening, the deck gets shuffled and the established brands want to stay at the top and the, and the emerging brands want to rise to the top. Um, and, you know, there is an opportunity right now to be part of the shuffle and not just be left off on the side and then, you know, put at the bottom of the deck. Now you could have, 
couple of interesting points there now. Just talking about the Web 2 versus Web 3, we haven't really seen uh, yet the likes of Google or Amazon in particular take on the Web 3 format. What's your thoughts on why they've not really, you know, for instance, create their own coin uh, or, or got more involved in crypto? Web3 is still in its infancy. Um, it's one of the reasons that we have not tokenized real estate in Topia. I think that we are looking at a valuation hype cycle and that's true of any technology, right? That always happens. The underlying idea of Web3, of public decentralized databases is incredible. And that will be the future. It should be the future. It's in all of our interest for that to be the case. Um, but I think the likes of Google and Amazon and others, they don't need to be first movers on Web3, they think. Um, they could be wrong. You know, maybe, maybe this will just continue on the same trajectory. Um, but the likely outcome here, from my perspective, is that the technology is amazing, that we need more utility layers, which we're trying to do with Topia. Um, and, you know, a lot of the projects that exist right now are early adopters are showcasing what will be possible. But I think we're still in the early, very early days of uh, a lot of the Web3. I think on the real-time internet side, you know, we've actually been building towards this for a decade now. I had my first, you know, real-time internet uh, platform in 2015. That was a long, that was seven years ago. Um, and I was not the first to do this. So, you know, I think we're actually much farther ahead there. And that's what um, Meta, you know, Facebook's Meta is all about the real-time internet, right? And all these things get jumbled together. But from my perspective, the real-time internet is here. It's happening right now. Web3 is really cool. It is coming. It is not going to go away. And it's going to ultimately be how we build applications, how we structure the internet itself. But it's very early days for that. Yeah, it's an interesting one because it, it, it is early days. I mean, if you take take Amazon as an example, you know, in the, the dot-com boom, obviously that's the one that we know that became successful as, as did Google. But for every Google and Amazon, there were 99 that failed. I think one of the issues that we have within crypto, there is a lot of Ponzi schemes. And you mentioned briefly utility. And I think that is should be in capitals on each coin, so to speak, i.e. when you're looking at investing, how does the coin generate utility? Because obviously on the Ponzi schemes where we're robbing Peter to pay Paul, then the Jack comes in and we and then we pay Jack with Paul's money. Um, it gives the, the crypto the bad name. I mean, a good example of a really good uh, scheme that's got utilities flux, that is a contender to AWS. They uh, are web-free databases but you effectively pay for your Flux website in Flux. So you, you, there is, they generate utility and there's an income into that. And I can see how that potentially would evolve. I mean, we, we actually, you know, we, we're Flux miners and uh, Flux uh, nodes. So that's full disclosure there. We're not hyping the coin, so to speak. It's not something that tomorrow we're going to be millionaires, but, there's definite utility, whereas obviously on a lot of these DeFi projects, we have unfortunately seen rug pulls and it gives the likes of us guys bad name because obviously everyone's like, oh, crypto's a scam, so to speak. That brings me on to an important question, actually. Uh, and I ask everyone this. 
what would you say to the guy on the street that doesn't know anything about crypto, a little bit of a naysayer? What would you say to them to explain to crypto and why they should be in it? Oh, to explain what it is. I mean, what I what I always tell people is that you should learn about it um, because it's again, it's a little bit like the early '90s with the internet. And if you learn about the things uh, early enough, then you can watch. You can be part of the journey. You start to actually understand deeply what the uh, implications of this are, um, and you you see how it evolves, and that just will create tremendous opportunity for you. Um, but you know, I, the way that I describe blockchain technology is, you know, is essentially that you have these public databases. Um, when you have a when you have a private database, when you have a centralized database, there's one company that controls it. So the company trusts itself. If you want to create a public database that everybody has access to and everybody's collaborating on, you need to have a mechanism in place for them to be able to trust each other, essentially. And people, people refer to this in the blockchain world as trustless. You build an algorithm, you build a mechanism, um, a consensus mechanism where everybody can collaborate and not even need to trust each other and actually have this database be real and be dependable and be unchangeable. You can't change the history of what happened. That's, that's at, at its core, the point of blockchains is to enable public databases where the entire world can trust them, can count on them, and can collaborate that, uh, on them in a decentralized and scaled way. So that, and that's the part of blockchain to me that's very fascinating. Um, I would also, you know, I always recommend to people, I'm a big uh, Bitcoin believer. So, you know, I, I recommend that people should not put their life savings in it, but put 5% of your wealth into it. Um, it's not going to hurt you. And, you know, it, it um, has a lot of protection power against unforeseen elements in the world. That's, that's my belief. And then, you know, I, I just want to bring it back to, for a second, your point about utility and Amazon emerging out of the internet. During the dot-com era, there were a lot of companies that didn't have real products, that didn't do anything, that were just a name um, or had like fancy marketing. Amazon had a really real product and a real business and created a tremendous amount of utility for the world. And that's why they survived the dot-com era. And I think that we're going to see similar kinds of things happening here. Um, I think that NFTs are not valueless. They are collector's items, right? And that's interesting. They're also community access. And that's interesting. But what do you do with that community access? How do you leverage the fact that this is a ticket, this is belonging uh, to this contract address? That's, that's what Topia is trying to help with projects to do is actually have utility and be able to bring their communities together inside of these worlds in the way that like Discord is doing um, in many ways right now. But in something like Topian, again, you're gonna start seeing this across the entire landscape, uh, but you can gate worlds by multiple token contracts. So you could say, you know, okay, there's an alliance between uh, Board Ape Yacht Club and Mutant Ape and Desperate Ape Wives. And if you own any, an NFT in any of these projects, then you can get access to this world. Right? And it's up to the world owner to set those kinds of parameters. And you start having communities that actually expand beyond just one single NFT project and actually become a whole ecosystem where everybody's collaborating, everybody's creating utility together, um, everybody's you know, creating galleries. And, and you know, we're still figuring out what the utility of these things are. But I have a lot of faith that we're going to enter an era where having entries in the, in the public database is going to be really 
valuable for people. Um, and it's it's likely, by the way, going to require a shift away from NFTs just being collector collectibles, and you know, and and having low gas fees would be really helpful as an example. Having low transaction fees, turning these things more into access gating and tickets, community membership itself, um, airdrops, rewards for coming to an event that allows you go, to go to another event. Uh, there's a lot of really fascinating things that are that are coming here, and so. Again, what I would say to somebody on the street is start learning about these things because there's so much going on and there are so many opportunities to get involved that you know it just requires doing your own research and not just listening to uh, somebody talking on a podcast, for example. That is true. Um, I think you nailed it when you said about the analogy of Amazon um, and the dot-com era uh, with, with crypto, i.e. Amazon's emerged uh, with utility. And this is going to happen with the best of the crypto projects. And just turning now, putting on the investment hat, because obviously you're a former investment banker and uh, you're obviously in early into crypto, which is, I think, pretty damn amazing. Uh, because I think to be early into crypto, you have to have that right kind of mindset for taking calculated risk. What projects are you seeing? that you think are going to be game changers and potentially, obviously, potentially we'd see a future? Oh, man. Um, it's hard to say. I generally try not to give crypto investing advice. I, I you know, and I was early in, in Bitcoin, but that was just luck. You know, I just, I like reading things. I like learning about stuff. I thought it was really cool, this idea of like decentralized money. And so, you know, I I would not consider myself a great crypto investor. Uh, anything I've uh, you know I've I've uh, I've done fine, and I you know I I buy the uh, I bought the things early, like Ethereum when it first came out. I I bought as well. Now there's just so much going on. I actually don't I don't stay that deeply involved in it. I'm pretty busy building Topia and focused on building a utility layer for Web three, um, and have actually kind of gotten away from doing any kind of crypto investing there's too much noise for me i'm just waiting for it all to calm down a little bit it's an interesting one you say that because i think i think these days and i think basically i say follow the developers um i mean but obviously we're not we're not investment advisors we always say do your own research which is, is what you're saying too if you follow the developers and you see what people are doing first then uh, then the potential uplift comes later on down the line i think you, you've hit the nail on the head these days it is a lot harder to get that blue sky either you know the warren buffett you only need one in in a hundred uh, investments to be a blue skyer I, th I think basically it's interesting talking uh about these projects because obviously it's obvious utopia is going to do well and i think that Obviously, metaverse on the whole is going to do well. I personally think we're going to see a pullback in crypto. Uh, I think just generally because uh, crypto is starting to, to follow technology more, and I think obviously we, you know, the markets are um, very high uh, in position to where they've been. Um, I the U.S. markets, and I do think I do think we're going to see some pullback with the the issues with inflation and potentially. Uh, yeah, you know, and I think that's healthy. I think it's I think it's actually good to have cycles. You know, there's Absolutely. bull and bear markets, and there should be within technology as well. And you see that 
almost every single time there's a new emerging technology, and we, we've already had it in blockchain a few times, um, is the reality. But um, you know, you you get a massive hype cycle, a big speculative um, uh, moment for technology, and a ton of infrastructure gets built. Then it collapses, but that infrastructure remains. And what comes from that is the ability to actually create real projects with scale at a low cost. And, and that's what we saw with the dot-com era. Dot-com, tons of fiber optic cable got laid and the infrastructure for cloud computing was built and was the foundation then existed for the early 2000s um, after the crash of the entire internet sector. Now you had the, the infrastructure in place for cloud computing to exist because you have a tremendous amount of oversupply of servers and some brilliant person realizes, hey, why don't we just make this available to people as a cloud computing solution and you can use our extra capacity that we built because you know we thought this whole thing was going to explode. And that creates the next sort of cloud computing um, revolution that occurred. And so I think the same kind of thing is going to happen in crypto. It should. Um, and you know a collapse will actually uh, herald the era of using all the infrastructure that exists and all the knowledge and all the capability that exists right now to build the next generation of the thing that really uh, takes off. And it, it, that's why, you know, my belief is that this technology, this idea of public databases is really fascinating. It's really empowering for creators and community builders, and it will exist in the long term. It just, it just kind of needs to uh, because it's so good for the end user. But I don't know about this current wave. And so my my goal has been to build uh, to be you know to build a utility layer to try to um, help with the you know create the foundation of what is coming um, and not really ride the speculation frenzy. You know we haven't tokenized our real estate um, as an example, and you know we're trying to kind of stay out of the fray and uh, just provide value to to folks. It's an interesting one. I, th I think we're going to see a similar situation to the bubble situation. And obviously we've seen a few cycles already. Uh, the added advantage of this is it does shake out the the the, uh, the bad players, I think. And the ones with a good future tend to stay. So what, just talking about the, the future, what do you see the future for, for crypto in general? I mean, basically where where do you uh, see your project in say five years time? I think in five years time, we likely will have tokenized real estate, you know, web three um, public databases are going to be a standard likely in five years where that's uh, the infrastructure layer to actually support the public database, right? To have applications that all tie in everything you do in any of these applications is actually going to tie into a public database. Um, and we're very much going to be part of that. We're, you know, we're, I would say not even not resisting, but pushing for it, um, but doing it in a healthy and ethical way, in a way where it creates long-term value for people um, and doesn't just get them to buy into some short-term speculative hype. Um, you know, that's kind of our focal point. And you jumping in when it's good for consumers, um, when people are educated enough to actually uh, make those kinds of decisions. And, you know, we're, we're playing around with different ways to integrate into public databases. Even right now we have, as I mentioned before, um, you know, we do verified NFT placement. We look on chain. Uh, we actually populate your wallet 
with assets that you, of any, any NFT that you own, and you can uh, place them once within Topia Worlds across the whole Topia universe. Um, so we already are integrating these public databases, and you can expect that platforms like Topia and Amazon and everybody else uh, likely are going to be figuring out ways to support public databases and, and enable people to get more value, more utility out of their database entries, out of their NFT projects, or their NFT token ownership, out of their community uh, ownership, out of their creations. Um, and so, you know, we're very much part of that. And I think everybody else is going to be as well. Uh, but it's not going to happen without a fight. I think Web2 is... Uh, is big. It's the Goliath in the room. And they, you know, Web3 represents a gigantic shift in value. Um, historically, a lot of the value was in the data, in owning the data in a centralized way. Even think about what Facebook historically has been. Um, it's all about centralized data access and then using that data to serve you targeted ads. Shifting to a Web3 where that data is not owned by a company anymore and it's owned by the entire world or owned by the end user, their own data is owned by them. That is a gigantic value shift. And Web2, it, it poses a, a, a significant threat to Web2 companies. So, um, you know, it's going to be messy here for a little bit. Yeah, it does. And this is why I think you haven't seen the likes of, of Google get involved at the moment. I think they're staying on the sidelines for, for that reason, that they see the value in their, their product in being centralized. And... Uh, just, just touching on the development side, uh, with you having a development background, it to a, for a, a new developer are out there. Obviously, we we get quite a few people asking us, you know, from a point of view because we're software developers ourselves. Where would you start if you were a new developer looking for the future into getting into crypto? Where where do you see it? Just which do you see, for instance, starting with Solidity, or maybe going into Solana as an example? You know, what's or sticking with the, you know, uh, it's uh, an Arifium machine, I something like F, FTM or AVAX on, on that particular blockchain. Where, where, where do you see potential? I, I would say um, I would answer with your answer from before, which is follow the developer community, go to whatever has a lot of support and just learn something. It's a little bit like when people ask the question, what? language should I learn? I'm, I don't know how to code at all. What should I learn? The real answer is learn something, right? Become technical. And I think it's true for blockchain as well. Just get involved, learn one of these mechanisms. They're not that dissimilar from each other. They're different syntaxes, but the idea is universal. The idea of blockchains is, is similar. And uh, so, you know, in, in writing smart contracts, the the, the kinds of things that you need to learn to write safe smart contracts are pretty universal. So um, Solidity has a lot of support, a lot of documentation, um, you know, and that's, that's the programming language for Ethereum, by the way. And, you know, I'm a little bit out of the weeds on um, smart contract development, if I'm being honest. So, you know, I don't, I don't have great advice here, um, except to say that it does make sense for developers to start playing around with smart contract languages and understanding the implications, it actually even changes the way you think. You, you, you start to have to understand how smart contracts work, where the gaps are, where the, where the security vulnerabilities are. Um, and those exist because of the way blockchain works. And so you start to understand how this whole thing even works by learning the language in the first place. Indeed. So where should we be directing the viewers? 
if they want to find out more about what you do? Yeah, you go to topia.io. And that is, that's our website. You can very easily enter into a world, start connecting with people. You can create your own world for free, bring up to 25 people at a time, um, you know, craft it, upload your own assets, use our extensive library of scenes and templates. You can um, gate your worlds with NFT ownership. You can try dropping your own verified NFTs, create a profile, reserve a username. Um, and when people hover over your NFTs, if you're if you're in Web three land, if they, if they hover over your web uh, your NFTs, they'll see the Etherscan address. They'll see it on OpenSea. Um, they'll see that it's a verified on chain NFT. Um, and so, you know, I uh, would highly encourage people to start just co creating NFT galleries with each other. Try our gating mechanisms. Topia.io. It looks a cracking website. It does. I've, I've got it up on my, my side monitor. I like. I like yeah, it's definitely cool. I like the animation. It's uh, so literally someone could come into your site, group of individuals, you know, a team, and have a meeting and be a more immersive experience. Is that the best way of explaining it? Absolutely. And you you can embed all sorts of content in the world. So you can embed uh, YouTube. You know, you're a podcaster. You can embed all of your podcasts inside of a world as a journey. And then people can go in there together and go on a social journey through your YouTube content. You don't even need to recreate it. You just embed YouTube. Um, and so it's a way of turning what was sort of like a static website or a static Zoom experience into something that's much more social, much more of a journey. It can be a repository of content. It can be a whole branded experience. It can be an escape room, a scavenger hunt. Um, you know, all sorts of games uh, that, are, that you can embed into these worlds or just get from the marketplace. Um, and so, you know, we're really trying to make it so that you can bring people together and have the same kinds of experiences that you used to be able to have in the real world um, or that you can have in the real world, but doing it from your computer, from anywhere in the world, bringing people together inside of these social experiences. Looks hours of fun. I'm, after this podcast, I'm going to try it out. It does. Amazing. It's, it's amazing how the blockchain is changing the world and, and people like you who are amazing developer, obviously. Uh, and obviously the, the thought that's gone into this, it's it, it, this years of work. And yeah, then, to, to be fair, Topia originally was uh, actually uh, a few different products that I was building simultaneously. One of them was actually a Bitcoin lightning uh, game. Um, one of them was a VR social experience platform. Um, I had a few different things. And when basically when the pandemic hit, I smashed it all together, started from scratch, essentially, uh, with a browser-based application, and really just tried to build it to be as accessible uh, and human connection-oriented as possible. And that's what we have right now. I think we need to ditch Zoom and uh, go Topia. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, it's time to finish. And I think uh, it's been a cracking podcast and there's been loads of alpha on this podcast. I'll put in the notes where people can uh, find you. It is quite easy though. It's topia.io. And uh, we'll connect. I'd uh, get you back on the podcast in three to six months and see where you're at with Topia and how it's, it's coming on and how it's developing. Sounds great. Yeah, it's been fun. All that leaves me to say is thanks a lot for coming on the podcast. And good luck with Topia. And uh, we'll see you in the future. Bye for now. Sounds great. Thank you for joining me today and listening to this episode. 
As I've gone on my crypto journey myself over the last couple of years, I'm all too aware of the overwhelming amount of information available online when it comes to investing in crypto. So thank you for choosing the Easy Crypto Podcast. It means a lot to me. Hopefully what I've shared today will help you on your investing journey, just like it did me. There's no reason why you can't go and make use of what you've learned today straight away. I'm living proof that these secrets and strategies I've shared with you do work. Please, by all means, feel free to share this with someone else you know who could benefit from it. That's the quickest way that we can build a collaborative community where we can share tricks and strategies which can turn our crypto investments into big profits. In the meantime, make sure that you subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss the latest tricks which could transform your crypto future. Every week we'll be covering a different aspect of crypto investment, so whether it's NFTs, mining or the metaverse, you really can't afford to miss out. Thanks again for tuning in. I'm Christopher Hitchin and this is the Easy Crypto Podcast and I'll see you next time.